Recovery Radio, KMP3, Thousand Oaks. Ah, yes. just winding down or it's somewhere in the middle, but here we are, and I'm glad. I have no desire to drink today. I'm grateful for that. Happy Easter. Celebrate Easter. It is Easter morning, and um, I wasn't going to record a show today, but it all worked out. just going to go over the, um, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over the next part of the, what does the big book say workshop stuff. And then I might take a few days off. I haven't decided yet, but I'm just putting it out there that that might happen. Record three shows a week and, um, I'm contemplating doing that. Right now, that's the plan, but I did not want to take a break before I at least finished this section. I promise Dave will come on to talk about trauma and the fourth column and the fifth and the sixth for that matter. But I just wanted to put the rudimentary stuff out there before he got really deep. All right, so I'm just going to jump right into it and then I'm going to go enjoy my Easter. All right, ready for this action? We're going to start right where we left off. We're looking for the common manifestations of self in the inventory. We're looking for the ways that self-centeredness most often shows up in our life. So far, we have resentment. That's one of the ways self shows up in our life. Fear is another way self shows up in our life. Now we're going to talk about sex. Sex problems. The misuse of our sex powers. Bottom of 68. Last paragraph. Now about sex. Many of us needed an overhauling there. But above all, we try to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes. Absurd extremes, perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have voices that cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most other troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think 
We do not have enough of it, or it's not the right kind. They seek significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. What they just said is there's nuns, and there's, on one end, there's nuns and priests, and on the other end, there's people of easy virtue, and they're staying out of it. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter, the judge, the ruler of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where are we at fault, and what should we have done instead? We got all this down on paper and looked at it. When we did the fourth column, they needed to trick us first by having us write a list of the people we were mad at. But now there's no trick anymore. Now it's just go back through your relationships or relationships in which you used your sex powers. It's not like a list of people you've had sex with. Where have we been selfish in our relationships? Where have we misused this? And we wrote it all down. The form is write down where we have been selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate. Whom would we hurt? Do we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where are we at fault? And what should we have done instead? That's the form. The substance is... All of that. And where have we been selfish? Where have we misused those powers? And we wrote it all down. And what should we have done instead? We got it all down on paper and we looked at it. There's no trick. Now, remember the worm analogy where the resentment was like the tomato worm analogy? Now we can see the worm. Now we can see the self. The goal of this is to discover the self that is blocking us from God. Now we can just hopefully see it by this point. This is also known as the, quote, sixth column, end quote. So we wrote down what we should have done instead. And in this way, we looked at it. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. And remember how I was talking about how if you just look at the steps on the wall... Step four just says, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. But if you read it in the book, not only is it an inventory of ourselves, but it's also the introduction of three very specific tools to start using immediately. And for the resentments, it's when a person offends we made real that they are spiritually sick. We asked God how we can be helpful to them. We asked God to help us change our thinking towards them so we could change our behavior or our thinking about them minimally right away. Fears. We realize we have our fear because we are playing God, because we are relying on ourselves. We ask God to remove it. 
and then we ask God to direct our attention to what he would have us be. Now we're writing down our character defects concerning our sex relations or our sex powers over years past. And then here comes the tool. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? So on a go forward basis, is this selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals. We ask God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. Somebody else is not going to mold our ideals. And I'm not going to mold my ideals. We're asking God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good. Not to be used lightly, not to be used selfishly, not to be despised, and not to be loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. So in other words, this is how we treat our problems. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. Important that it doesn't say we ask someone else what to do about each specific matter. And I want to say that because that makes a big difference in someone's experience. Whether or not they're trusting this voice or somebody is telling them what to do. The right answer will come if we want the right answer. It'll come anyway, I think, but... I've chosen to ignore it many times. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with other persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. I can't tell you how many Male friends of mine have been told by their sponsors to get laid, to not make amends to people they've harmed, to break up with people, to pursue people. I mean, really, really. happens all the time. But what I just read says we bring this to God and the right answer will come if we want it. Right now, I could go talk to 100 people in AA that I know and I can get them to co-sign anything I wanted. I know which 100 people to talk to if I wanted to try and make myself feel better about sleeping around got a a lot of people would sign off on that a lot of people would sign off on whatever I want them to sign off on (laughs) I've learned that I used to do that I used to um, go around asking people 
what they thought. I was really just trying to justify behavior I knew was wrong. I felt it was wrong inside, but I was trying to find people to put their signature on it. It never, it never helped. It never muted that voice enough. But I tried to do that all the time for a long time. I'll talk about that more in a little bit. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and our motives. If we're sorry for what we've done and have an honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry, if our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. So if my conduct continues to harm other people, I'm quite sure to drink based on their experience. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. Can you imagine if it said, if sex is very troublesome, we just talked about it a lot and just stayed on social media and scrolled and stalked people and blah, blah, blah. If it's really troublesome, we just did everything we could to exacerbate the problem and make it, and make it worse. No, if sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This quiets, this takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious, bossy urge when to yield would mean heartache. I also want to point out when they they talk about sex again, they're not talking about sex, the act of sex. If they were, it would not make any sense. If sex is very troublesome, meaning what? If you have, you're having problems performing, if you're, you can't balance while you're knocking it out. I mean, they're talking about They're not talking about the act of sex. They couldn't be. The subject matter of, the things surrounding it, the the use of our sex powers. It's the only thing that makes sense to me. You can disagree with that. Obviously, we don't even need to tell you that. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. That's how much you should, that's how long your inventory should be. There's the substance in the book, or there's the form in the book. A lot. We wrote a lot. That's how unspecific they are, because it's the spirit of it. It's the, we went back through our lives, and we were thorough and honest. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have listed, we have analyzed our resentments. That's a huge statement, saying that my brain works for things. I'm an, they're asking me to analyze things here. It's significant, I think. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people, just like us. Living out of the third step, 
as the self-centered person described on 60 to 63. So important to reiterate again and again and make it clear that that section there is not about the alcoholic exclusively. Believing that changes the rest of what happens. So I spend so much time on that. Everyone is spiritually sick. If they were just talking about alcoholics, they would also be implying here that the only time we were ever going to have problems with anyone for the rest of our lives would be with other alcoholics. No, everyone's spiritually sick, even our enemies. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. Doesn't that sound like step eight? In this book, you will read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that you're stuck being self-centered for the rest of your life and you're extra selfish. Just kidding. doesn't say that. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. This was an incredible revelation in my life 30 years ago. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. I went to a meeting yesterday, the other end of the country, and I can't tell you how many times I heard people in the meeting talking about how they're extra spiritually sick. Their alcoholism is their selfishness. They're stuck with it. In my understanding of this is that that does not have to be the case. I felt that way for the first two and a half years of my sobriety. But I've learned that it's not what it's saying, as far as I understand. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. I'm not altering that sentence at all. That says God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. God can remove it. That's what it says. Pretty amazing. If you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. So to summarize, now we're just cooking with gas with our inventory. Now we can just write down where have we been selfish, where have we misused these powers that we should not judge and hate or use selfishly. Got it all down on paper, looked at it, asked God to mold our ideals and help us live up to him based on what we wrote down about what we should have done instead. And then we, in meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. We ask for strength to do the right thing. Sometimes we want to talk to other people for sure, but God is the final judge. God alone can judge our sex situation and the right answer will come if we want it. So 
There it is. There it is. Amazing tool to start using. We subject each relation to this test. Is it selfish or not? I have a lot of stories about this part of it. I needed an overhauling here. Changing here was it took a long time to even start to change. I really My sponsor told me, I think I shared in the first episode or the second episode of this podcast, that my sponsor said that I was not, he didn't think I was going to stay sober because I was too horny. And I ended up hurting a lot of people. I didn't want to, but, you know, I think I shared it on here. They said, don't get any relationships in your first year, so I got it. Don't get in a relationship in your first year, so I got in a lot of relationships. And I justified it that way. Well, they said don't get in like a serious relationship, but these people aren't serious either, so it's not selfish because no one's taking it seriously. Or I have my own thoughts and feelings and experience about all that now because I have learned a lot from spending hours and hours listening to people cry because of my behavior that I sometimes deemed as not selfish because I sometimes had a complete understanding verbally with someone else that it was not we're on the same page there's there's no way it was going to be harmful it didn't mean anything and so much destruction has come from that and been expressed to me about that. And that changes a person, changed me. <clears throat> I remember, um, I remember, uh, I'll talk about it more when I have Dave on, we'll get into this a little more, but I do remember, you, you know, Ignoring that voice, wanting to hold on to this part of my life and not give it to God. Just like everything else, I learned the hard way by doing it wrong. One thing I can say about myself is that I did have a sincere desire to grow closer to God throughout all of that. And I still have that today. I've made a lot of mistakes here. A lot. So many. I feel like every mistake you can make in this regard, I have made. And, um, I claim nothing other than I'm better than I used to be. So, there it is.
Happy Easter. Have an amazing holiday today. Thank you for everybody who listens to this. If it's helping you, please tell somebody about it. Visit my website, sarcasticbigbook.com. Follow me on Instagram, sarcastic.a.book. Give a shout out to all my friends. Say to anyone who needs to hear it, everything is okay. Everything's okay. Everything is okay. I will have Dave on here. I don't know when, but I will do that as soon as it becomes feasible. And it'll be awesome. I'm not positive there'll be a show on Tuesday or not. Might take a few days off. Anyways, giving you a hug if you need it. My life is saved. On that note, I am going to go try to live a life that was worth saving. And I hope you'll do the same.